Well, hello and welcome to the Church Office Podcast. My name is Gavin Smith and it's a joy to welcome you today to this administration admin and ops podcast we love talking about all the work that happens behind the scenes and my special guests today are paul and sue harrison welcome nice to have you on the podcast Hi, thank you thank you for having us it's great to have you and you guys both lead the christian safeguarding services and uh we got to spend a bit of time together at the fic conference which was a lot of fun these are like my new besties (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know they are they are great and uh what i you know tell us a little bit about how you guys got going on this because uh you're doing a stunning job okay well i think we can blame our son-in-law for this because it goes right back to about 2013 2014 where okay. he said oh come and train our guys in our church we, we don't need to pay anybody else to do it if you can do it we come and train us So we did it and we thought, oh, actually, people really appreciated this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we did a training session for our own church um, and it it sort of took off from there. And then we got in touch or we were already in touch with FIEC. Yeah. And I had a conversation with Phil and uh, Phil said, I think we need to uh, talk about a few things because I think we could uh, work together, partner on something. Okay. And then at the end of 2018, I think, I can't remember which year now, 2017, uh, we had a phone call from somebody who, who said, um, can you guys ramp up? Because I think the evangelical side of the church yeah. are really going to appreciate something that is biblically orthodox Uh, an organization that's biblically faithful um is in the same space as we are um and from there it just um we we put a little bit of work used (laughs) our own resources to get it going yeah Um, but then you know it was the evangelical alliance it was the fic the Christian Institute also uh, encouraged us to try and get into the market. Yeah. And we've never looked back. We thought COVID would kill us off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really did. We thought we're not, we're not, we're not big enough. We're, we're, yeah, we'll be absolutely overwhelmed. But actually, it we just ramped ourselves up with the online stuff, didn't we? And yeah. um, we have got over a thousand churches that we're in wow. touch with. And, and we've developed a membership scheme. We've got the yeah. advice line, but I'm going to leave Paul to talk about what gives us credibility to do this. Yeah, because actually that's really important. Yeah. So I'm going to hand over to Paul because I will Paul. disappear in a moment, Gavin. <laughs> of course, yeah, we wanted to see you both on here. So uh, yeah, Perfect. yeah, fill us in, Paul. Perfect. Yeah, so so we we offer a whole range of services. Really, the idea is that we uh, we, we can provide churches and uh, Christian faith based organisations either with a complete wraparound, one stop shop approach to safeguarding, yeah. or alternatively, um, we can just they, they can take just the services that they want. So yeah. uh, we have some churches organisations who have a free membership with us. They access uh, lots of information from the website. Uh, But then we have other churches who want to use things like the DBS service. Uh, They want to uh, access our template safeguarding policies, those kinds of things. Uh, so that comes in with the paid memberships um, and, and, and churches and, and, and faith based organisations can uh, choose what it is that they need uh, and they can tailor yeah. that to their own needs. Uh, but I think what we what we aim to do in all of this is to make sure that what we're doing is approaching uh, safeguarding, not as simply a legal duty. Yeah, but really seeing it as a as a biblical a, a biblical imperative in that yeah, sense. I absolutely. Think our, our, our passion is if we if we boil it down, safeguarding is about two things. It's about how we protect vulnerable people from harm and yeah. how we promote their well being. How we create an environment where they can thrive, where they can be cared for, etc. Yeah. And although safeguarding, obviously, in a modern context, isn't mentioned in scripture, it's it's an alien concept in one mm-hmm. sense. If we boil it down to that's what it's about, it's how we care for the most vulnerable people in society. Yeah. Scripture actually has a huge amount to say to that. And so that's what we seek to do. Yeah. And, and we both have backgrounds in children's social care. Yeah. Uh, although we're not social work qualified, 
we work very, very closely in that social care arena. And we, we have um, worked in the early help and the preventative services. Paul managed eight Shore Start centres. He managed a social worker that was in his team. I yeah. myself manage uh, the learning and development for a local authority for our children's social workers. Uh, so we're, we're very familiar with where the thresholds are. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you you and Paul have already had a conversation around what is a threshold. Yeah. And designated safeguarding leads need to know that. Yeah. So we have a really good understanding of where a church needs to report, where they need yeah. to seek advice. Um, so, yeah, it was our backgrounds, I think, in working in that sector. Um, we felt that there was something that we could do as a ministry for churches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we're a bit passionate, but we do make our <laughs> training fun. Uh, yeah. You can have fun when we're talking about safeguarding. It is a serious subject, yeah. but we can um, we we can make our our training fun to attend. Yeah, that's great. And to have a thousand churches sign up in such a short period of time is really just a testimony that actually people need this service. And I, your biblical approach makes it easy to have the conversation with elders about this stuff you know yeah. so so we we get it at all levels then don't we not just people who are youth workers or safeguarding officers that are trying to do a job but actually we can have this conversation broader and that's um yeah. that's helpful and, and i think that's really important uh we we we're sort of clear really the government guidance says this but also i think it's important for us as churches uh I'm just going to say churches, but but we work obviously with any Christian organisation. Yeah. Uh, but rather than keep expanding that, yeah. uh, you know, it's really important that safeguarding is led and is seen as being important from the kind of leadership of the church. So from the trustees right through the leadership, and really having it embedded in that way is really really important. Yeah, no, that's absolutely great. So so the membership is available online. There's different levels, isn't there? And you can access. Yeah. Different yeah. amounts of support and training and, yeah. and you're tailoring yeah. that to churches, which is fabulous. Yeah. 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 So so our bronze our bronze membership, Gavin, is really you just sign up with an email. You can read what's on the yeah. website. You can contact us through the advice line. Uh, our silver membership uh gives you access to all the policy templates. I mean, it's yeah. not just one policy, it's it's policies to connected with safeguarding. Yeah. So it's your whistleblowing, it's your uh, complaints. Uh, it's your policy and your procedures for your safeguard. It's codes of conduct. Um, yeah. And that gives you also access to the DBS portal. So our DBSs uh, are very, very competitive. Yeah. Uh, £8.50 per check. Then, so that's the silver. And the gold is everything that I've spoken about plus 20% discount on consultancy and training. Yeah. And besp any bespoke training that maybe yeah. a church might want off the shelf. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. love that. And you guys have also done quite a lot of kind of investigation work, I guess, into being called into yeah. organizations to support in in very specific ways, I guess. And and yeah. that yeah. has that been a complicated part of it? <laughs> so uh, yes, it's it, it, it's it's a big part of what we do actually. Um, I have experience uh, in a LADO team. Um, so mm -hmm. LADO is the role within the local authority. Local authority designated officer is what LADO yeah. stands for. And that's the team that look at allegations against people who are in uh, a role that gives them access to children and young people. So if we have an allegation against a teacher or a teaching assistant, mm -hmm. uh, anybody working with children and young people, including uh, pastors, youth workers, those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, so we've got experience in that. Uh, but we've also got a number of consultants who work with us as well on those investigations. Um, often, uh, rather than investigation, it will be a learning review. So okay. uh, the, the aim isn't isn't to apportion blame. Yeah. Um, uh, and we don't deal with things, you know, if if the police need to be involved in something, if there's a criminal investigation, we wouldn't become involved until the criminal investigation was complete. It's complete. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of these things, actually, they don't meet those thresholds for the police, for yeah. um, adult social care or children's social care. And so what we'll do is we'll try to go in, look at what happened, um, understand that and try and learn lessons. 
I think it's really important to emphasize that because the aim isn't to apportion blame. I don't mean to suggest that nobody ever intentionally harms a child or a vulnerable adult. Uh, but of course, in churches, it's, it's very unusual that there is an intentional harm. The majority of the time that there are problems, it's either because people didn't know better or they've made mistakes and those kinds of things. So yeah. it's really a case of going in, just trying to help the church to reflect, to think through what is it that's happened, uh, to learn lessons so that we don't repeat the same mistakes again and again. Yeah. But yes, we've done them from uh, relatively simple reviews uh, of, of a, you know, a specific, very sort of constrained situation that may have yeah. arisen. Um, but right through to some very big investigations that have um, ha have have involved police. Police have been involved. They've closed it off. But the organisation is saying, well, now, you know, having dealt with the criminality aspect, we now want to understand what what should we have done to prevent that in the first yeah. place? What, what can we, we do differently? And yeah. what do we need to do differently in the future? Yeah. So a, a really wide range of things. Um, but obviously, as I say, the, the, the key thing for us is we don't interfere with the statutory processes. We'll let them run their course. And that's absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah. But then we'll do the learning after that yeah. uh, to, to try and just, as I say, identify lessons and mm. then improve things for the future. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Love that. It's fantastic. I'm going to have to go. I'll leave Thank you in the Thanks in for the joining people. us. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> nice to see you again. Take care. Bye. So, yeah, That's we do that, that kind of whole range of things. I, I think one of the challenges for a, a lot of churches and, and faith-based organisations now is actually not that criminal stuff or the stuff that hits um, the, the sort of legal thresholds for social care. Uh, they're obviously important, but... In some ways, for us as organisations, they're straightforward to deal with in the sense that if it's got to go to the police, it goes to the police. They yeah. take over. They tell us what they need us to do to support, but we're mm -hmm. guided through it. And the real challenge is those things that fall below that threshold where you go to the police, they say, no, it's, there's no criminal action here. Uh, you go to social care and they say, well, this isn't a person who fits the threshold for uh, an adult at risk of abuse or an adult uh, with care and support needs. And so the church, is, the church is left sort of really without guidance to say, you know, this is how yeah. to handle it. And at that point, uh, we're able to help churches by uh, just bringing our experience uh, I, I wouldn't want to claim that we're experts and we've got all the answers to everything, but obviously because we deal with these things quite regularly, uh, just because of the nature of the work, we see things that are happening in all sorts of different churches. And so we have built up a degree yeah, of expertise. Yeah, uh, in yeah that. that kind of wisdom and, yeah, that experience does make a difference, doesn't it? And, um, yeah. you know, things like the advice line, being able to give somebody a ring and talk to somebody exactly. over a specific thing, those things that you guys offer again are, are you know so helpful for people in churches yeah and, um, and, and often people know what to do you know they'll they're quite often people will ring in on the advice line and actually what they're doing is absolutely spot on and mm. um, but we're able to reassure them so that they're not st sitting and sort of stressing and fretting about oh, yeah. have i done everything that i should so even if it's just a case of reassuring someone that they've done the right things that there's nothing else yeah. but obviously uh sometimes we can bring in dimensions and aspects to think through uh, and we try to include the sort of pastoral dimension of that as well so uh, for example uh recently having a conversation about a, a, a an adult um who poses a risk to uh to to, to other people to young people uh, and and vulnerable adults and obviously what one thing that we've got to do is we've got to make sure that they don't harm anybody in the church mm. but we also want to support that person we want to uh, encourage that person to to deal with the spiritual issues if it's a non-christian we want to see them come to repentance yeah. and come to faith if it's a christian who's fallen into some kind of sin we want to see them restored and we want to yeah. have that pastoral heart in what we're doing as mm. well as the legal dimension of protecting the vulnerable yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's great, Paul. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. And um, and and when when I was been saying to people, right, I've got Paul coming, Sue coming on, and and uh, conversations have started with other administrators. And um, so some of these questions I, I've kind of got for you are just kind of formed from from conversations and emails. And that's and right. one of the th one of the things that keeps coming back is is churches or administrators and churches involved in this are saying to me, I feel like I've got a handle to some extent on safeguarding kids 
and we've got all our safer recruitment and we've got our policies in place. We've got our training, you know, we're, we're doing all of those things, but they don't feel like they've got a handle on vulnerable adults. Yeah. Um, and I think the reality of COVID and the reality that of what we're seeing is that you can be vulnerable as an adult for a season. We can all be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so that seems to make me feel like, have we got the confidence yeah are we doing the right things and i think it'd be it'd be really interesting to hear your perspective and just speak into that really for us yeah of course it, it's a complex area um safeguarding adults um and, and again i think one of the things just to kind of say and i don't want to keep banging on about this um obviously the aim of the podcast is to give useful information but it, it is complex and and if you've got specifics and you're not sure please don't hesitate to just ring in on the advice line and we'll talk it through yeah. with you there's a lot of subtlety and nuance here and yeah. so we'll give some general principles, but obviously when it comes to the detail of a specific situation, uh, please don't hesitate, anybody uh, who needs to, to just give us a call and chat it through. We're more than happy to do that. So um, there, there's real complication with um, safeguarding adults um, because the Charity Commission particularly have made some changes. Uh, mm -hmm. Going back to 2018, we saw these changes coming in. And those changes are changes which we support entirely, but I'm just not convinced that the articulation of that has been as clear as it could be. And, and so it has created a lot of confusion. So uh, let me try and explain this as clearly as I can. On the one hand, any charity, uh, any Christian organization has a responsibility to everybody who yeah. ever comes into contact with the charity, whether that be leaders, whether it be employees, whether it be volunteers, whether it be those that we're ministering to yeah. uh, in one way or another. We have a responsibility to everybody. Um, and that is clear. Now, I personally prefer to refer to that as the general duty of care that we have to everybody rather than safeguarding. However, the Charity Commission are calling it safeguarding. And so mm -hmm. to fit with that, I would refer to that as universal safeguarding. Yeah. yeah. Now, the distinction here, the majority of safeguarding adults is consent based. OK, yeah, I think when we're talking about safeguarding children, there's a fundamental underlying principle that you won't see articulated anywhere. At least yeah. if you do, please do let me know, because I've never seen it written down anywhere. Yeah, but it yeah, does yeah. seem to me that the underlying principle with children is that as adults, we have a responsibility to protect them from harm because due to their age, their developmental stage, they're not able to protect themselves yeah. necessarily. We understand that they grow into that and what have yeah. you, but the, the, the fundamental assumption is as adults, we have a responsibility to protect children. When we're dealing with adults, the underlying principle is that adults have the right to make a choice for themselves so long mm. as they have the capacity to do so. Mm. Now, by capacity and mental capacity is an important aspect of uh, understanding safeguarding adults. What we really mean, again, this is my simplistic explanation, not the legal yeah. definition. But my simple explanation is, does the person understand the factors that they need to consider in making any decision? And do they understand the consequences of the decision that they take? Now, if they understand those two things, they understand what they need to weigh up and consider, and they understand the consequences of the decision that they're making. They have mental capacity, and therefore they have the right to choose. Mm -hmm. Even though we may feel that that choice is unwise or is unhelpful to them, they have the right to make those decisions. Yeah. One of the things that I always say a little bit flippantly, uh, but nonetheless truthfully, is adults have the right to make dumb decisions. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that as churches we need to get yeah. our heads around. Because yeah. so often we look at a situation and say, but you know, it, it would be so much better if but the reality is that that adult has the right to choose. So most adults are in the universal territory. We then have a group of people that we refer to as adults with care and support needs. Now, these are adults who need help and support with very, very basic day to day living tasks, things like um, getting themselves up, washed, dressed, showered, toileting, cooking for themselves, uh, shopping for themselves, uh, managing finances, those kinds of things. The kind of really, really basic 
essential tasks without which you're just not going to survive on on an ongoing basis. Now, adults who need help and support with those really basic tasks are what we refer to as adults with care and support needs. Mm -hmm. Adults with care and support needs, we are in voluntary territory. We're in consent-based territory. Um, and, and, and so we sometimes find situations, for example, you may have an elderly relative, um, you know that they need some extra support, mm. but they're absolutely adamant that they don't want that support. Mm. There is nothing that we can do to impose it. If they have mental capacity, it's their choice whether they receive it. Yeah. So they're entitled to that support. They would benefit from that support, but it's their choice whether or not they accept that support. Mm. The third group of adults is what we call adults uh, in need of protection or adults at risk of abuse. You hear both terms used, adults at at risk of abuse, adults in need of protection. Now, these are adults who have those care and support needs. So they meet the criteria for that middle territory. They might not be receiving the support, but they they need that support. But in addition, they're at risk of abuse and because of that support need that they have, they're not able to protect themselves against that abuse. Now, when we have an adult who can't protect themselves, we're in that territory of adults at risk of abuse or adults in need of protection. And we do have a legal duty then to step in uh, and intervene and pass that information, perhaps to the police, perhaps to adult social care, those kinds of things. Now, one of the things that if you think this through, uh, it, uh, and this is a little bit counterintuitive, I know, but bear in mind those titles that I've just given, universal, adults with care and support needs, adults are at risk of abuse or adults in need of protection. Okay, It is possible for an adult to experience abuse, but not be classified as an adult at risk of abuse. And the difference is that they're able to protect themselves and therefore they have the right to make the decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. So an obvious example would be domestic abuse. We could have an adult who's in a home situation where there is domestic abuse taking place. They're a victim of domestic abuse, but they're able to meet those basic care needs for themselves. They don't need someone to help them getting up, getting washed, getting dressed, etc., Therefore, by definition, they can't be in that category of category of adult at risk of abuse, but they are an adult experiencing abuse. And and, and I think getting your head around that fact is really important. So, for example, with domestic abuse, uh, and and I think this is a helpful way of understanding the difference between safeguarding adults and safeguarding children as well. When it comes to domestic abuse, if we have um, a a situation where there is domestic abuse taking place, it's the adult's choice whether they report that. Now, domestic abuse is a crime. It can be reported to the police, but it's the adult's choice whether or not they do so. And if they choose not to, if they choose to stay in a relationship that's abusive, that is their choice. However, if there are children in the household It is a mandatory report for the child, but it's not a mandatory report for the adult. Unfortunately, sadly, we do see the situation sometimes where an adult um, is in a domestic abuse situation, usually where there's physical abuse. And we, you know, social care have looked at it. And the conclusion is with that violent person in the household, we cannot keep the children safe. Mm. What will then happen, sadly, is that the the adult will be told, the adult who's the victim will be told, either you leave your violent partner or we will remove the children. But if the adult chooses, we'll leave the adult in the violent situation, even though there may be a risk of real significant harm, even life-threatening situation. We'll leave them in that situation because they have the right to choose but we'll remove the children from the situation because we have a duty to protect them. Mm. So when it comes to, to, to safeguarding uh, adults, there is support yeah. that's available, but the majority of the time it's consent-based. So we can offer support. It's up to the individual whether they take it or not, yeah. unless they're unable to protect themselves. Now, of course, where this gets messy is that there are things that we identify as churches, which we would say is not okay. It's harmful to that person. That person uh, is vulnerable in some way. Perhaps they have mental health issues. Uh, perhaps they're struggling with some kind of physical disability. Perhaps they're suffering with uh, mm. grief. 
um, or, or you know, a whole range of different things that can impact people. Maybe they were victims of abuse themselves, you know, in the past, or they've been traumatized in some other way. If they don't need that care and support with those basic day-to-day -day tasks, we're in consent-based territory. So, of course, we want to reach out to these people, we want to love them well, we want to care mm. for them well, but we're not under a legal obligation to report, and they may not meet a threshold where we can report. Now, this leads us into uh, another aspect. And sorry, uh, Gavin. No, no, no. This is kind of getting in a flow. OK, <laughs> um, but it, it kind of leads us into another theme, having uh, having sort of clarified what we mean by safeguarding adults. Yeah. Which is there's a whole load of stuff, as you can see from that description, there's a yeah. whole lot of stuff that doesn't meet a legal threshold. Yeah. In other words, we can't refer it to the police. We can't refer it to social care. It just it just doesn't meet that threshold. Yeah. We refer to it as sub threshold concerns because it doesn't meet the threshold yeah. for those statutory yeah. services. Now, the difficulty here is that can involve real harm to those people. Mm. In other words, as a church. Let's say we let's say we engaged in an area of ministry, but we really didn't understand it very well. And accidentally we were harming people rather than helping them mm -hmm. okay, because of lack of experience. Best will in the world, but just not skilled and competent in that area. Yeah, that is still harmful to the individual. It's not a criminal act. It can't be taken uh, into into any uh, uh, any of the statutory services. But the Charity Commission will look at that and they'll say, well, as, as a charity, you have a responsibility to make sure you're not causing harm to individuals that are associated with yeah, the charity. Yeah. And so we have this duty to go above and beyond the legal requirements in making sure that we're protecting people um, uh, as we engage in our ministry. Yeah. And so there's a there's a really important area to think through around these sub threshold uh, aspects. A lot of the stuff that we see that comes through with reviews, a lot of the stuff that we see, um, the term spiritual abuse is one that has become quite uh, well uh, used. Um, uh, personally, I don't like the term spiritual abuse because I think it's insufficiently precise. Mm -hmm. um, we're not here to talk about spiritual abuse, but if I just give you a couple of yeah, examples. no, 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 yeah. Um, so a lot of the stuff around spiritual abuse has come over from the states. One of the things that's really important to understand is when when people in the states talk about safeguarding, they don't mean by safeguarding what we mean. Yeah. When they talk about safeguarding, they're more talking about child protection or those adults at risk of abuse category yeah. than they are these lower levels. But then there's a whole range of cultural stuff and what's a healthy church culture like and these kinds of things. Now, my difficulty with the term spiritual abuse is what do we actually mean by it? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, if you look out uh, in, in, you know, if you just do a simple search engine search on the term spiritual abuse, what you will see is uh, it certainly is not a term that is restricted to uh, Christian churches uh, or Christian organizations. It's not even restricted to faith-based communities. So for example, uh, an organization called Living Without Abuse, which is a domestic abuse support organization, they define spiritual abuse very differently to anything that you would see in the, in the Christian mm. uh, sort of um, uh, resource uh, sections. Um, there's also uh, what is essentially a new age definition of spiritual abuse. And, and I think sometimes people come at it and they kind of have this closed or this narrow view of what we yeah, mean yeah. by spiritual abuse. But in the broader world, it's a it's a huge term that means things right from criminal activity right through to basic disagreements about theology. So, for example, sometimes we'll see people who uh, will say things like, well, uh, if you uh, hold to an orthodox view uh, on marriage, uh, in, uh, you, know, you, you, you believe that um, uh, to be engaged actively uh, in, um, in a sexual relationship outside of the biblical pattern of marriage, that that's a sinful thing. If we hold to that view, there are those who will say to us that is an abusive position. Mm -hmm. 
There are those, for example, some of our churches may be complementarian in their theology. They have an all male uh, leadership. Um, uh, there are those who will say to us that's spiritually abusive. Now, there is a very significant difference between someone yeah. who is involved yeah. in sexual abuse of children or financial abuse of vulnerable adults and someone who is holding to a theological position. Mm. And so there's this whole range of things that kind of range from criminal through abusive, but not criminal. It might sound strange, but yeah. let's go with it for now. Through harmful, but not abusive through genuine misunderstandings, genuine mistakes, through differences of opinion, right through to malicious allegations, which are intentionally mm. false. Mm. They're rare, but they do happen. Mm. Uh, 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 and so th there's this kind of huge range of different things that come under that broad template, that broad yeah. terminology of spiritual abuse. So just to be clear, we are not in any way wanting to accept or diminish the significance of abuse that happens within churches. What yeah. we're saying is yeah. the term spiritual abuse isn't sufficiently nuanced to distinguish between these different categories yeah. and these yeah. different levels. Yeah. Now, the problem in this sub-threshold territory, which is the territory where it's not meeting a legal threshold, we can't pass it to social care, is that there really isn't a great deal of guidance for us as churches in terms of what we should and shouldn't do. And so what we need to do is we need to create the frameworks and the structures for ourselves. And then we need to create um, a, a process that holds ourselves, holds us to those standards that we've set for ourselves and provides a way for people to come and say to us, yeah. okay, we don't think you're meeting the standards that you've set for yourselves. And then we can look at that impartially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a complex area. The whole area of, of, of safeguarding adults is really complex because on the one hand, we've got to consider those legal thresholds, but we've also got to consider this other stuff, which is below those legal thresholds, but nonetheless, which is important for us because as churches, we don't want to harm people. Yeah, it, it, it is sounding more and more complicated, isn't it? And I guess <laughs> the, the, the standards, I guess, that you're the organizations and churches lay out for themselves is that done in support with you that's you know when you yeah. say that what are you talking about policy yeah I, 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 absolutely so um uh, we have a lot of this stuff available already um mm. so our, our safeguarding policy and related policies are a part of this. Uh, so in our policy, uh, we define sort of what, uh, what we believe are our responsibilities and how we're going to respond to those responsibilities. Yeah. And then we have our procedures, which are sort of detailed step-by-step -step instructions uh, as to how we're going to do the things that we've committed to in the policy. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have codes of conduct. Now, codes of conduct are essentially saying, OK, this is the standard of behavior that you should expect from people who are ministering yeah. on behalf of the church. OK, um, I think codes of conduct are something that historically um, we have not used as thoroughly as we could. And this is one of the things that we're encouraging churches to think about. And so, for example, uh, let's say we have a code of conduct, uh, one that's familiar probably to most of us uh, we have a code of conduct around working with children and young people you might not call it a code of conduct but we have those kind of sensible rules yeah. that are in place you know there's some definitive ones you must never smack a child uh, but then there's also the common sense ones you know don't find yourself one-on-one -on -one with a child behind a closed door you know make yeah. sure people know what's going on you're staying visible and those kind of things yeah. so we've got this code yeah. of conduct now i think what we've tended to do in the past is to say OK, we've got our code of conduct. Who needs the code of conduct? Well, of course, all of us, all of our all of us, our volunteers who are working with children, young people or staff who are working in that area, they need the code of conduct. Now, of course, that's true. But what about who else needs the code of conduct? Now, what I would suggest to you is that if we're working with children, there's at least two other groups who need that code of conduct. Mm -hmm. One is the parents of the children mm -hmm. or the people who are yeah. attending. Because yeah. if they don't know that something should be happening or shouldn't be happening, why would they ever come and tell us if we weren't meeting that standard that we've set yeah. for ourselves? And the other is the children and young people themselves. Mm. 
We might have to simplify it. We might have to articulate it in a different way with children and young people. Let me just give a simple example here. Yeah. Let's suppose we've got in our code of conduct. Um, I'm not saying this is the only thing that the only way of managing this situation, but it's quite common in a code of conduct is mm -hmm. we have a clause that says, if you're a youth worker, um, you must not make one-to-one -one social media contact with a young person who's a part of the youth group. Yeah. Okay. Um, don't don't take it that's a definitive you absolutely have got to have that in there there's other ways of managing risk dependent on your context but let's say we have got that in our yeah. in our code of conduct okay now let's say that we then have a rogue youth worker who comes through they're a volunteer but they're actually trying to make contact with young people if we haven't told the young people themselves that that shouldn't be happening will they think to mm. say to us Hang on a minute, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. Of course, you might have a young person who goes, this is really weird. Why would I possibly want to make social media connection with this 40-year-old guy? Yeah, That's yeah. just weird. And they yeah. just reject the invitation. But then you will have other young people who naively will go, oh, that's someone from the church. Yeah, that's great. Let's make the connection. And we've missed the opportunity to identify that we've mm. got a, a worker who isn't adhering to the code of conduct. And yeah. so by communicating the code of conduct more broadly, on the one hand, we are, we're making young people aware, but we're also saying actually one of the ways that we care for each other is that when we see things that aren't meeting the standards, and bear in mind, these are standards we've set for ourselves, mm -hmm. but we see people who aren't meeting that standard, please come and talk to us about it because we've set that standard for a reason and we want yeah. to hold people to it. So what we do is we build these things. We build our policies, our procedures, our code of conduct. And, and I think we need more areas, code of conduct for more areas. I think one of the really important areas for us to have code of conduct at the moment is around pastoral care. A lot of the concerns that we come through are about um, what is perceived to be heavy handed pastoral care. Okay. So we have these things in place that set a standard for us. And then next to that, alongside that, we have a policy that says this is how we will deal with concerns. Um, whether it be a complaint or an allegation or what have you, mm -hmm. this is the process that we will use. It will look at it fairly. It's about justice for everybody. We don't jump and assume that just because someone makes an allegation that it's true, it mm -hmm. will be investigated thoroughly. That's what scripture says to us. Yeah. If there's an allegation, investigate the matter thoroughly, carefully. Uh, it's, in the, it's in Israel's law. So we investigate it thoroughly, impartially. Um, so that, you know, we're not we're not jumping on the bandwagon saying, oh, we've got an allegation. Therefore, this person is guilty. No, we're establishing fact. We're establishing mm. truth. But we've got a process that makes sure that we look at it properly and we're accountable. And there's a degree of transparency to that. And so by by putting those two things together, the policies, procedures and code of conduct, the documentation, along with a way of saying, if we're not meeting that standard that we have set for ourselves, mm -hmm. this is how you can raise that with us. Um, that goes a long way to addressing these issues. Yeah, um, I, I, I think one of the other things that we've been talking about a lot more now to churches is um, in this territory, this this stuff where we're not talking about criminality, uh, and, and so we're, we're we're defining our own um, uh, our own standards, as it were. Is I, I, I'm encouraging churches now to think about defining four things. Sorry, Gavin, we're probably no, going no. Keep going, keep going. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, we encourage churches to think about defining four things. Now, I, I, I'm going to unpack these slightly for you, just briefly. Yeah. Um, but, but the four things are: who are we? What do we believe? What do we do? And how do we do it? Now, I want yeah. to unpack that a little bit, just so as we're on the same page. Who are we? Well, we could just say, well, we're a church. Well, that's fine. But unfortunately, in our day, that doesn't mean a great deal. And, yeah. you know, we've got some churches that are preaching a gospel, which, quite frankly, isn't the true gospel. And so yeah. what, what are we? Well, we're a church and we stand, broadly speaking, in this tradition. So for me, um, I, I'm an elder within an FIC church. So, you know, I might say something like we are we're an independent church. Uh, we're a registered charity in our own right. We're an independent church and we stand in a broadly reformed evangelical theological tradition. OK, yeah. so it's it's just a little bit more than we're a church. It just kind mm. of positions us and says, what kind of church are we? Yeah. 
What do we believe? Now, I think a lot of us are very familiar with statements of faith, but um, those of us like myself who've been around a few more years than others, um, there are all sorts of things that years ago we'd never have put into a statement of faith. But now I think it's really important to put them in there mm. so that people know where we stand. So, for example, um, years ago, it would have been unusual to have a specific statement around identity or around sexual orientation in a statement of faith. It was more the theological things. What yeah. do we believe about God? What do we believe about yeah. sin, humanity and salvation and so on? But actually now, because these are important issues in the culture, I think we need to make a statement on what is our view on marriage? And mm -hmm. um, I would always encourage churches to 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 phrase that in the positive. In other words, don't give a list of things we disagree with, uh, but articulate what we do believe. So, for example, uh, in, in our articulation of our view on marriage, we talk about the fact that we believe uh, that uh, marriage is ordained by God. It's established by God. It's one man, one woman for life. Um, uh, and that's our view of marriage. Rather than saying, yeah. well, we disagree with with a gay lifestyle, we will say this is this is our view uh, of what marriage is. So we define what we believe. The next thing is, what do we do? Now, this one is a little bit confusing, so I will explain this. OK, so what do we do? I'm not talking here about specific activities, but there are things that as churches we do which the world doesn't like. OK, so, for example, uh, in society, proselytization is largely frowned on. And yet as churches, we believe in evangelism, not just we think it's a good thing to do. We think it's a biblical imperative, yeah. but our society doesn't like that. So we need to say clearly we believe in evangelism. It's a part of our faith. It's a part of our doctrine. Once we once we're clear that this is a doctrinal issue, our trustees actually have a legal duty to uphold that doctrinal position. OK, mm -hmm. so it protects the church from that point of view, but it gives that clarity. So we believe in evangelism, mm -hmm. even though society might not like what it calls proselytization. We believe that we believe in discipleship. Now, that might not be hugely contentious for us. But of course, if we stop and think about it, what is discipleship? Well, discipleship, if I can put it in a slightly crude way, is about it's about the production of change um it's about it's about encouraging people to submit to the word of god and, and to become more christ-like now the question that will come from many in society is well surely that's coercive you're telling people how they should live and how they should behave mm. so why is it that we we don't believe that that discipleship is coercive and, and actually what safeguards do we put in place to make sure that we're not coercing people and pressuring people unnecessarily or, or, or in, a, in an unbiblical way I should say mm -hmm. then when we come to the how do we do what we do that's where we would say okay so how do we do discipleship for example well that's a whole range of things. We do discipleship on a Sunday when we have our teaching time. We yeah. do discipleship in our small groups. We do discipleship in uh, mentoring type relationships and stuff, yeah. groups and those kinds of things. Now, if we can define these things and if we define the standards that we're working to, that takes us a long way towards an effective safeguarding process. Mm -hmm. You see, the thing is that mm -hmm. adults have the right to choose. Um, I'm not in any way endorsing this view, but um, an adult has the right, if they so choose, to join a cult. It's not illegal to join a cult. There may be illegal activity associated with that cult, but it's not illegal to join a cult. Now, what we're aiming for here is that as churches, we're clear, we're open, we're transparent about where we stand. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we believe. And that way, if people choose to engage with us, that is their choice. But what we don't want is them engaging and then later on saying, well, hang on a minute, you brought me in under false pretenses because I didn't realise that that was your position on marriage, for example, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, until I said that I wanted to get involved in serving. And then all of a sudden you said to me, well, yes, I know we've been telling you that everybody's welcome, but actually you're not welcome to come and serve. Mm. As you're in a, for example, in an openly gay relationship. And so what we're trying to do is just be honest and open and transparent with people. So that the, the kind of defining those things, having our policies and procedures and codes of conduct, having mm. a complaint process as to how do we do with that and, and defining on a biblical basis 
what does this mean? What does this look like to us? That they, These are the kinds of things that I think are really important for us as churches now um, from a safeguarding point of view. Yeah. Paul, you, you know your stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's so helpful. I'm sitting here making notes saying, OK, what are these four important things I need to do? Um, and, and, and review of this is is a constant activity at, at all different exactly. levels of trustees exactly elders you know because you are yeah when you talk about in terms of evangelism discipleship what we believe you know filters into all different areas of the church and so yeah we've all got a absolutely. responsibility in this um, absolutely and i think just on that point because i think one thing that sometimes gets missed is um this is not just about having a policy Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we're really emphasizing now, uh, uh, and it's coming through from the Charity Commission, but of course, it's it, I think it's biblical as well, um, uh, it, it is, um, it's not just about have we ticked the box, have we put yeah. these things in place, it's is what we've put in place effective? Is it working to mm-hmm. actually achieve mm-hmm. the aim? And so that review isn't just uh, have we got the right policies and have we got the right things covered in the policy? It is the policy working on the ground so that we're actually yeah. keeping people safe. Yeah. So that effectiveness yeah. question is really important in yeah. that process. Yeah, that's really useful. And I think that's a really, you know, helpful conversation. And, and if, you know, let me, you know, encourage listeners to go back over the podcast, because the, the whole thing about the sub thresholds, about consent with vulnerable adults, that, you know, as we're saying, it's complex, each individual situation that you, you know, are faced with, that you're thinking, right, what do we do next? How do we approach this? What are the questions? What, you know, what things do we need to avoid here? Um, that That is so important, isn't it? It really is. It really really is. is. And and obviously, we've got limited time on the podcast, obviously, but um, we have a whole range of trainings around this kind of thing. And and we have the advice line. Um, So please don't hesitate to make contact if there's because it is complex and it is difficult. Uh, But often we can fairly quickly sort of cut through it to, okay, these are the things that you need to do. whereas you can find yourself just floundering and bouncing backwards yeah. and forwards yeah. between what seem to be very confusing principles. Yeah. And just give, give me a point on the consent thing. Oh. You know, when we're, we're, you know, working with somebody that we, you know, there is now this process of determining whether they are giving consent to move forward yeah. in a particular way. Are, um, are you getting written consent for that? Are you, is that, yeah. Yeah, people being aware of something and making a note of this or what what does that look like sure i I mean it does vary from context to context um so for example um when we're talking about young people uh, attending a group going on a trip yes that needs to be written that needs to be a consent form that's been signed when we're talking with adults we're usually working on the basis of um verbal consent but what we would do is record that this person gave consent so i would record consent given by this person on this date either in a phone call or in a face-to-face conversation with this person yeah and we don't have to have a signature there is there is an acknowledgement that there has to be a level of trust here you know we're not trying to create an environment of mistrust and so so i would record the fact that i've been given verbal consent but i think one of the things that's really important here is the 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 concept of informed consent Mm -hmm. so what we're looking for is informed consent and informed consent consists of three things the person who's giving consent needs to know what information we're going to share who we are going to share it with and what the purpose of sharing that information is And if we haven't covered off those three elements, we don't have informed consent. So we're aiming for informed consent, but it can be verbal, but still record it. Now, just one further comment that I do need to make on consent, because consent predominantly relates to where we as a church, we as an organization, share this information Mm. outside the organization itself. Now, if we're doing that, we really need to make sure that we've got clarity about consent. At the other end of the extreme, it is never an issue for a member who's got a concern about somebody 
to speak to the safeguarding lead. That's not a breach of confidentiality. That's the responsible thing to do. You've got a concern, and so you're seeking advice. Yeah. Likewise, to go to senior leaders or your line manager or you know those kinds of things, they're never a breach of consent. That doesn't, of course, mean that we would go and tell everybody in the church what we're talking about. We, we're, you know, we're keeping it tight to the people that need to know. But it is never a breach of confidentiality to speak to your line manager, to speak to your safeguarding lead, to speak to, you know, the leadership team and say, look, I've got this concern. That obviously is a confidential conversation. Um, but uh, but that's the way that, that works. Uh, and um, then if if you need to come through to us, so church leaders very often come through to us. Um, uh, we've had to block the the phone line so that we didn't get disturbed during this call. Uh, but but that's what we do. That's what the advice line is. That's a confidential service. And so while we would take mm. the name church and the leader um, we wouldn't ask them to provide us with names of the people that they were talking about but we talk okay. through that situation anonymously okay uh, and again that's not a breach of confidentiality either we're allowed to seek specialist advice and support and those kinds of things yeah. uh, but we just need to be careful about sharing information more broadly than that Paul, so much help there. You know, honestly, if um, if you haven't signed up to uh, Christian Safeguard Service, then then please consider doing that. Um, please consider, you know, getting involved with them. You know, you've got your three levels of uh, membership. They've already talked about what those benefits are, and so I can't highly, you know, I want to highly recommend them to you. Um, you know, a really switched on, theologically, you know, driven. Um, you know, my experience with them has been been superb. So, mate, thanks for all you're doing in serving churches. Not not only the ones that you're helping to learn, and I'm sure there's always that that work that you're going to continue to do. But actually, this this preventative stuff of how we keep everyone safe um, is is great. So, mate, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us, and uh, thank you for what you're doing as well, uh, because you're a real blessing to churches as well. And that's what one of the things we love about this partnership is. We're both working in the same direction to help churches to to, to serve well, aren't we? So uh, oh, it's yeah, a privilege to do that. So thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, mate. And thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've got any follow-up questions, then please get in contact at questions at thechurchoffice.co.uk. We'd love to do that. Please check out the website, Paul's website, Christian Safeguarding Services. You will, you know, you'll Google them and you will find them. And uh, it's a reasonable, really reasonable price to, to sign up. So um, please do that. That'd be great. All right. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Thank you very much.